Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, and on YouTube. The boys are back in town. It's football season. It's on to week two, but we got to talk week one first. Joining me, as they will, so frequently throughout this wonderful football season. First and foremost, it's been a minute. My brother, Pat Boyle. What's up, guy? Pete, what's up, man? It's great to be back. Wild week one. Yeah, we'll get into it. The Giants and the Jets, maybe the worst outcomes possible for them outside of the Jets, a miracle win. And you still Mm. feel that the season's over, but Mm. oh man, can't wait to break it down. Can't wait to get back into it. It's great to be back. Absolutely. We'll talk about it all. Of course, so much to unpack and also here to unpack some of it. Cody O'Connor. What's up, brother? PD, Pat. Can't wait to do it, boys. You know, it was it was nice to see that after the debacle of the Giants Sunday night that the uh, the Jets were nice enough to, to steal the headline, to take some of the attention, shift it onto them, and to somehow have had a worse night. 40 yeah. to nothing, and I think the Jets are the headline. Those poor Jets. And I say that with empathy as a Mets fan with the game still on in the background. I don't know how you are watching a Mets game right now. It's impressive, Code. It's, it's really great. I mean, it's loyalty. That's what it is. It's that you're a good guy. You're a stand-up guy. That you're it's watching loyalty the right and uh, it's a little bit of DraftKings, a little <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say a little bit of uh, anytime Pete Ho- Pete Alonso home run action or something like that. Yeah, he's in somewhere. Well, you know, you <laughs> see the bets; they're in the group. That's that's a good point. Uh, but we do have so much to unpack. Obviously, the Giants and Jets will be on the forefront. What we will also do on this episode is we're gonna take a deep look inside of our own minds and hearts, and we're gonna decide. After all the preseason takes that we've gotten off, Cody and O'Connor and I, I think we did two different NFL episodes leading up to this season. Pat has gotten takes off on multiple different airwaves, WFAN, CBS Sports Radio, uh, as well. I don't even know last time we were here, Pat, if we talked football or not. But nonetheless, we're going to look at those preseason takes and we're going to make decisions. We are either going to double down or we are going to back off and hedge out of these takes because week one happens. We know every year there's overreactions. There's things that take place that you can't believe what you just saw. And then some of it is not true and it really plays with your mind. But then sometimes some of those uh, unique performances in week one do lead to things that you are going to be confident in throughout the rest of the season. That can mean a lot of things, but that's what we're going to get into. We're doubling down on preseason takes or we are hedging and backing off. So that's what we're going to do in a moment, but we have to talk about the New York Giants and the New York Jets for all intents and purpose. It's not good. It's bad. As Robert Sala said, first line out of the gate in that post-game press conference, going to talk about the quarterback, and he said, it's not good. It wasn't good. Aaron Rodgers torn Achilles. We'll get to the Giants, so we'll start with the Jets. It is, first and foremost, a travesty. Any single time, a living legend misses out on a chance to continue the legacy, right? I liken it to the LeBron Jameses, the Kevin Durants of the world, where if they're missing a full season at this point of their career, you really feel it. When Kevin Durant went down with his Achilles, same injury, you really felt it. Like it was one of those chances he had 
to win a championship, to carry a team. This was a chance for Aaron Rodgers to make one of his last, if not last, push for a Super Bowl. And it was ripped away from all of us, as well as him and the New York Jets, in four snaps. So it's absolutely brutal. And Pat, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. A lot of people have talked about it to this point. But the reaction for you, could you believe what you saw? And what was going through your head? I just, Pete, I think it's when, you know, you hear the Joe Beningos of the world. Oh, the pain. 40 years for some Jets fans that are older than us encapsulated into one moment. You know, seeing a bunch of Jets fans that I know, a bunch of friends that I have that are Jets fans, seeing them react in real time was way better than I could even sum it up. Because I had all the, you know, we had all the ex- expectations, all the excitement in the world for Aaron Rodgers, four-time MVP, coming to the Jets. You watched the Jets last year. You knew the defense was great. They're even better this year, by the way. Uh, DJ Reed calling them historic. That's not that far off. They are unreal how elite that defense is. And you saw Garrett Wilson, Offensive Rookie of the Year. They bring in Lazard. They bring in McCole Harmon. They bring in Randall Cobb. Brees Hall is back. He ripped off an 83-yard run. The Jets' offense is so much talent around it that, again, they were a quarterback away. And now you bring in a first-ballot Hall of Famer. Forget what you thought about how good Aaron Rodgers was going to be. If you thought he was starting to fall off, if you thought he still had it, either way, you had Aaron Rodgers under center. What you saw last night from that defense, what you knew about the defense from last year, the offensive talent, this team, at minimum, was winning 10 games. And I thought they could win 12. So to have all that excitement... Hard knocks built up months in advance. The the decision of him coming out of the darkness and coming to the Jets, it was one of the most hyped up New York seasons in recent memory. Now, that's also kind of hard to say in New York when we had the excitement of the Mets season just a couple of months ago. And when you've had excitement of Knicks seasons in the last couple of years, Yankee season in the last couple of years, we've become a pretty tortured city uh, in terms of all the excitement we like to build up. And a lot of it, rightly so just to see it crash and burn. And unfortunately, just for Jets fans, this was another chapter of ultimate torture in a franchise that just can never seem to catch a break. So to see him rupture his Achilles and you watch the replays, the close-up of literally seeing his leg expand and pop and you see it recoil like you're plucking a guitar string, to see that and to watch him get up and then sit back down right there in that moment, to capture that moment is is very difficult to do, um, but it is just another chapter of a living nightmare coming true, and it does feel like the season is over already for the Jets here, despite they kept one of the miracle wins of the year with Zach Wilson, the punt return for a touchdown. We'll talk about all the Bills issues that they have, because there are plenty, but for, for Jets fans, it's, you know, you say to yourself, How could this happen again? And yet again, that is the reality that Aaron Rodgers in four plays, his season is over. His season is done. And down the line, you got to think whether or not he'll ever be the same player ever again. 39 years old, coming off now a fully ruptured Achilles, what he will look like next September. But man, you know, just to quote Joe Beningo, what a disgrace. There's so much to unpack from that night and the energy in that building. I mean, you know, you don't often feel pregame hype on your television, but if you watch that ceremony at MetLife last night or now two nights ago when you guys are hearing this podcast, you saw it, you felt it, you heard it. It was electric in there. 
and the atmosphere was amazing. For that to be ripped away is crazy because right now, not knowing if Aaron Rodgers is going to play football again, his legacy is currently hard knocks and one preseason touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson. Like it'll go down all time as one of the biggest things that never was in sports history. And that sounds over dramatic, but I really don't believe it is because of the talent on this team that was displayed even after the injury. The defense is off the freaking charts. It's nuts how fast they are, how strong they are, how good they are in coverage. The talent on offense is obvious uh, outside of the offensive line, at least. And it's it's truly a shame. And, and Cody, you know, I don't want to belabor the Aaron Rodgers stuff too, too much. Because again, by Wednesday, when this is coming out, people probably don't even want to hear about it. It's hard for us to even talk about. But is there anything that you want to say about A-Rod or, or uh, about that situation on Monday night? Yeah, I'll try to make it quick because you guys really hit on most of it. And it's funny because there's really two sides of this coin, especially as a Giants fan, because you know some Jets fans that are real true Jet fans, really good fans. They don't really get ahead of themselves. And I really feel for those guys. And I, especially one of my good friends, LJ, I'm sure he'll be listening now. I'm going to shout him out. Because all he said was all season – I have never seen a quarterback even close to this standard. They've never gotten to see one, and they still don't get to see one after this. They get all the hype leading up to it and all the belief and, like you said, all the talent around. And, yes, there was a legit Super Bowl hope for this team, and that is taken away. Unless they have a guy come in like a Matt Stafford-esque type of a player, they no longer have a chance to come out of that gauntlet of the AFC. And I just genuinely feel for them. It sucks. And it's hard to not draw the parallel to the Mets bringing Scherzer and Verlander, older guys, first ballot guys, and it doesn't work out for different reasons. And you just are like, what else can go wrong? And I texted them before. And I said, as bad as you think it could go as a Giants fan, it can always be worse. And I never expected four plays in for the season to just turn on its head the way it did. I just feel for them, man. It, it sucks. And if you knew me going in, I've always been a huge Rodgers fan. I always have been a guy who said he's thrown the prettiest ball I've ever seen. Best thrower of the football, in my opinion, of all time. Not the best quarterback, but up there with them. And they had that guy to bring the professionalism, to bring it all together. And it got taken from them in an instant. And they salvaged a little bit of it with a win. But, you know, you, you win the battle, you lost the war last night. That's just tough. Yeah, and just really quickly, Pete and Cody, to, to piggyback off that, you know, you drew the parallel to the Mets. You you got to see that experiment crash and burn and fail. Scherzer was, was terrible in the big games. Verlander was not as good as you thought he was going to be. And just think about all the times in, in years past we got excited for Yankee seasons just to see injury in the middle of the season combined with, you know, playoff fail yet again, losing to the Astros. You didn't even get to see that. You didn't even get to see the opening act. You got four plays. You got to see Rodgers throw one ball before it was ripped away from you. It's not like he played six games, was kind of mediocre, then got hurt. And it's maybe the only other worst-case scenario was if the Jets are like 7-3 and three through 10 games and he's having a borderline MVP season, and then he gets hurt. But you didn't even get to dream that far in advance. It got taken away from you before maybe 50% of Jets fans even settled in to watch the game. If you were five minutes late, you missed it, and now it's over. <laughs> you hate to see it. I was talking to a coworker about that exact thing, Pat. Like, what's worse? Is it is it better to get the Band-Aid ripped off in week one, or is it worse to get 
to week 14, be in the playoff hunt, and then this happens. Like, you could argue they both suck equally, and they're both terrible. But, like, now, now is where the Jets have some serious things to figure out about themselves and about this organization because the NFL is not a tanking league, right? And the Jets are too good to tank. They're way too good. Their defense is elite. It might be top five, top three in the NFL. So it happened. You can't even argue about, is it better to happen in week 14 or, or week one? It doesn't really matter. It is interesting to think about, I guess. However, now it's time for the Jets to figure out what they're going to do for the next 17 weeks. And that's what we're going to talk about real quick before we move to the Giants. It's both sides of the ball. It's offense and defense. Because I got to be honest, I think that defense was so good that they actually can compete in this AFC. I really believe that they're not out of it for a playoff spot yet. I know the season's over by most people's accords and they're screwed with Zach Wilson or if they go for another quarterback, we'll talk about that in a minute. This team's got to still think to themselves that they can win a lot of games in this league, no? That's personally what I'm thinking of after watching that run game, watching that defense. There has to be a belief and there has to be some fortitude in in that locker room saying, I know we just lost our guy. I know we thought he was here to save us but we might just have to save ourselves. I feel, I still think they can get to like eight, nine wins and, and be relatively in this race. Is that crazy to think? No, I think they can get to that level. But again, they're, they're, the whole shift of what you thought going into the season is now different. You're now fighting for a playoff spot where before you thought we have a chance to make a legit playoff run. And that's the difference. But what you said before, was it, would it be better now or in week 14 for this to happen? It sucks both ways, but you'd much rather have it now because at least you have time to make some type of a trade or an adjustment. Maybe you're going to see what you have in Zach Wilson or maybe him scrambling behind the line of scrimmage 30 yards last night was all you needed to know to say, we need somebody else if we want any chance to win 10 games and make the playoffs and maybe win a game or two in that playoffs. Matt Ryan's a name I know got thrown around. I don't know how much more he can do because you said that that offensive line isn't great, so he's not going to move behind it. But at least you have a little bit of time to try something, knowing the roster looks the way it is around it. You at least can try. I think that there is one, the best and most realistic option, and I tweeted this at PatBoyle44 if you'd like to check it out. Um, Cole McCoy. He's the best and most realistic option. You know, you go through you go through the names, Carson Wentz, maybe trade for Jameis Winston, maybe trade for Jacoby Brissett, you know, luring Tom Brady out of retirement. Look, a day after, two days after he got his number retired at halftime at Foxborough at, at Gillette Stadium for the Patriots, Brady's not coming out of retirement. As much as you want to dream about it, I don't think I think 90% of Jets fans would say it's not happening. It's not gonna happen anyway. Like they haven't even given it a second thought. I don't think going with Zach Wilson is a good option. I don't think there's anything you saw from last year, and I sure as hell don't think there's anything you saw. Granted, he was thrust into a tough spot first quarter right away. Uh, you know, all, I loved all the memes I saw. The Drewski meme where all of a sudden it's, you know, they, t- they tell Zach Wilson, put your helmet on, and he goes, me? Already? So there's there's nothing, but either way, there's nothing you saw Monday night. It's the same Zach Wilson. It's the same guy that can't go through his progressions without panicking, evacuating the pocket, scrambling for his life, and then either chucking something up for grabs or running, and you fear of him getting hurt and turning the football over. He doesn't know how to manage a game. His passing is erratic. I mean, that interception he threw to Matt Milano threw it right at him. 
Told you everything you need to know. Zach is not a guy where I don't care if he had a full season of just sitting and watching and learning under Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be a good NFL quarterback. There's nothing that I've seen in his career that would tell me otherwise. And just to put blind faith in the kid, why? Because Joe Douglas made the wrong pick at number two in the draft. Just because he's a you know a nice kid that had that went through it last year with the team basically you know vulturizing him for Mike White. He's not a good quarterback, and he never will be. Uh, I you know I would like to see the kid do well, but it's not going to happen. So you need to make a move. You need to sign a veteran quarterback. You know, if you want to trade for Jameis Winston, you want to trade for Jacoby Brissett, you're giving up assets. You're not giving up a ton. But I just don't think those guys are even a better option. Colt McCoy is a guy that is a safe option, and that is what you need for the Jets quarterback. He completed literally just under 70% of his passes last year in the three games he played, and they were all against good defenses. Against the 49ers, best defense in the NFL, at the against the Patriots and I think at the Denver Broncos was the other game. Yep. So, and in those three games, he completed right around 70% of his passes. He threw the ball 35, 40 times and he managed the game. He did throw in, he threw three interceptions in those three games or two interceptions in those three games. But even at 37 years old, he is a guy that can read it, can make, you know, can read an offense, knows what play to make, knows where to deliver the football. He's not going to, you know, game break a lot of plays for you. Doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but he is the exact type of quarterback that this offense needs. A safe option. Whereas with Jameis, you're worrying about maybe you get a game with 350 yards and three touchdowns. You're also going to get a game with four interceptions. Carson Wentz, same thing. I worry about him getting strip sacked at least once every game, plus making a terrible throw. You've seen it in the last couple of years. Colt McCoy has been on mediocre teams and has been a safe option for them, whether it's the backup, whether it was his time in Washington, whether it was his time in Arizona. That's the best option for the Jets, and it's one that's not going to cost you a whole lot at all. I know it's not a sexy option. It's not the Tom Brady. It's not the Matthew Stafford, which you're not trading for his contract anyway. You're not trading for Kirk Cousins. Like, get real. Colt McCoy is the best option you have, and if you want to have a chance to make the playoffs, he gives you the best chance. My whole thing with the Jets quarterback moving forward is I think they have to pick a side, Pat. So I'm going to kind of agree with you here. You have to either go full-fledged Jameis Winston or full-fledged Colt McCoy. When you're stuck in the middle is where they're going to be in trouble, right? Like if you're going to go for Carson Wentz and try to make him the Indianapolis Colts conservative Carson Wentz, where his touchdown to interception was actually really good two years ago, but he wasn't making big plays and he wasn't like doing much for the offense. That's not worth it. You might as well have Colt McCoy, but if you go, get the Jameis Winston side of things, you might get those boom bust. And with that defense, it might be a risk worth taking, right? So, but here's the other side of it. If you go for the Jameis Winston, the Matt Ryan, the Carson Wentz, et cetera, you probably feel like you got to play those guys. If you go with Colt McCoy or someone like that, you can actually kind of give Zach Wilson that leash just to see what happens. And obviously the next two weeks against Dallas and new England is going to be absolutely brutal for them. But and for him specifically, but you can give him that leash. And then when he fails, you insert Colt McCoy. If you pull in Matt Ryan off off uh, CBS's broadcast booth or whatever, or Jameis Winston, it's gonna be really hard not to start those guys. Another name we didn't say is Gardner Minshew. Didn't get the job in Indianapolis. Maybe he's a Colt McCoy adjacent with a little bit more juice. I don't know. But I, my whole thing is like I don't want them to be wishy washy and try to like middle it because that's not gonna get them anywhere. They need either a strict game manager or a gun slinger. Don't go in between and try to get the best of both worlds. Those quarterbacks don't exist when you're in this bracket of quarterback. 
right? It's kind of like when you're in Madden and you're drafting a franchise, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to, oh, I'll wait on quarterback. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones is still on the board. And then your fan, your franchise goes, you're like, I'll wait one more round. All the quarterbacks are gone. At that point, you got to decide, am I going to go with uh, uh, Hendon Hooker <laughs> as my quarterback so I can run 90 read options every single game? Or am I going to have a quarterback who sucks at passing? Like you have to kind of make a decision at that point. I think the Jets are there now. They have to decide, are they going game manager, simple, run the ball offense? Or are they going to unleash some of these weapons they got with a Jameis Winston? I don't think that's a bad idea. But like you said, Pat, giving up those those picks or whatever capital you have to makes it a little bit more difficult uh, for, for it to work out. Um, but on, on to this defense, super, super quick. So we get to the Giants. They were elite. I mean, from the DBs to the D line to Quincy Williams at linebacker. I think you might've mentioned him by name before too, Pat. He was all over the place. They were absolutely insane. What's the, what's the new expectation here? Is it play? Is it a playoff hope or is that out of the question for you, Pat? I think the schedule's tough, and and for me, it really does depend on the quarterback. If it's Zach Wilson, I think this team wins maybe six games. You know, they, they've got a tough schedule. Um, the defense, it would basically be you go back to last year, right, where they were a quarterback away, where you had a mixture of Zach Wilson, Mike White, and Joe Flacco, and they went, they were seven and four and lost the last six games of the year. I think it's, you know, that team, um, you know, basically – rewrapped into 2023. And like I said, I think the defense is better than last year slightly. I mean, they were elite defense last year. Uh, they brought back most of their guys, but you know, again, for me, it's the schedule you mentioned at Dallas home against the Patriots home against the chiefs at the Broncos, which at this point seems like a toss up game. I don't even know if they'll be favored in that game. Eagles have the giants chargers at the bills, dolphins, at the Dolphins again, obviously, you know, all, all those teams twice in division. Like, there's not a lot of winnable games on this schedule if the quarterback's not Aaron Rodgers. And if it's Zach Wilson, which I think is the least of, you know, any realistic option they could bring in, there's only so much this defense can do just like last year. I don't see them having a chance to make the playoffs if Zach Wilson's the quarterback the rest of the year. Cody? Yeah, and I, I think it does have to be the game manager for them to have a chance because that's them playing to their strengths, right? And one of them is not their offensive line. So Zach Wilson, who likes to step back, and then he can't evade the pressure, and then he's scrambling like we saw, I don't think that's it. But a guy who's willing to take the underneath throws to do the dink and dunk to get you into good field position because some games are just going to be field position battles and let the defense hum on the other side. Reese Hall looked unbelievable last night coming off an ACL. I don't know who would have expected that. It was not me, not game one. I thought it would take him four, five, even six weeks to ease himself in to look like that guy again. He looked very electric. Obviously, Dalvin Cook's still there. I think he's still going to be very good. Garrett Wilson's elusive with the ball. So those underneath throws, if they can do those types of things, I think they can get to eight or nine wins, but it has to be because of the defense, because of playing to their strength, and it'll take a hell of a coaching job by Robert Sala. We'll see if he's up for it. But with that gauntlet you mentioned of the schedule, it's going to be quite the uphill climb. Yeah, they're at the point for me where if they're going to be a playoff team, they're going to have to have some other teams fall apart, right? That's kind of what it comes down to. I had them slotted in as my third wild card in the AFC with Aaron Rodgers in the preseason. So, I mean, they just got worse, right? So unless other teams fall apart, which is possible, it's possible for other teams to fall apart, also sustain their own injuries, Without that, I don't think they're in. I'm going to take the Jets out of the playoffs uh, at this point in time. 
But Pat, it makes me think of all those times and all those hours we spent at the fan over the over the winter, over the summer, talking about if the Jets should get Aaron Rodgers and old timey New York fans saying, Oh, he can't handle the New York media. Well, it looks like he couldn't handle the New York turf. Oh God, that hurt to say out loud. Oh, that <laughs> I saw, you know, and I saw a really dark one. Um, <laughs> one of the guys that used to work at, at CBS Sports Radio said uh, he goes, I thought Rodgers, there was five snaps, right? He played four snaps and then the Achilles. Oh, <laughs> I said, wow, man, that's, that's oh. dark. That's dark stuff. That is dark. There's even darker stuff that we're not going to get into because those, uh, those can stay on Twitter and in the group chats. Uh, but now incredibly sad to see Aaron Rodgers go down just to, to finish off on how I actually feel not joking around sucks to see Aaron Rodgers go down to a legend to lose his last or one of his last shots, possibly his last shot to make an impact on this league. It, it stings Jets fans and non Jets fans alike all hung their heads last night and this morning seeing that news and it's brutal. Um, but the NFL will go on and the jets have a season to play. We'll see how they do. Let's talk about the New York giants and get more positive. No, we're not, we're not going to get more positive with the New York giants. Not right now. At least uh, Mark skip Lugian, AKA Shen Lugian is not here to eviscerate Daniel Jones and this New York giants team. He calls himself a giants fan. He's not, He's, a, he's afraid to come on this podcast. That's what I'm saying, and I'm going to stand by it. However, we're going to talk about the Giants uh, week one against Dallas and moving forward into the rest of this year. Um, it was brutal. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. I, uh, I'll i save my take here for a minute because I want to hear what you guys have to say. Pat, you know, you're not a Giants fan per se. You're a New York supporter generally, I guess, but you're not a Giants fan, so let's hear it from you. What the heck happened with the Giants and, you know, how nervous are you? Where's your meter at at the moment with uh, with their outlook? I'm going to be honest. I'm not worried about the Giants at all. I'm not worried about the Giants at all. I still think they're a playoff team. I think Sunday night was a game where if it's week six in the schedule, you throw it away as awful game, letdown game, weren't prepared. Now, that's obviously concerning that it looked like they were totally unprepared in week one, opening night against a division rival that you wanted to prove yourself against at home. <laughs> so that's concerning, but I'm still going to say I'm not worried. Long term, you look back at the end of this season, we do this podcast in January, the Giants are in the playoffs. We're going to say, wow, what the hell happened week one? And look at the Cowboys. You know, as much as, much as they choke every year in the postseason, right, and uh, as big as frauds they are, they lost 19-3 to last year in the opening week against the Buccaneers. They went on to make the playoffs. They blew out Tampa Bay in the playoffs. And then, yeah, you know what, again, they choked against San Francisco in the postseason. But for a lot of Cowboys fans last year, they were in the exact same position that the Giants were. You're going up against a team that was a playoff team from a year ago. You got your ass kicked. Uh, you scored three points. And yet the Cowboys turned out to be you know, pretty much fine. That's where I see the Giants. I see them as a playoff team. I do have concerns for this team as well. But, you know, again, I'm not going to make excuses. They got their asses blasted, right? They got destroyed. It was probably the worst possible game you could have. And I saw the tweet where no team in one season had lost by 40 to nothing or worse, outsacked 7 nothing or worse, lost the turnover battle 3 nothing or worse, pick six, and a block field goal for a touchdown. No team had done those things in a single season. The Giants did them in one game. Giants did them in one game. Impressive stuff. The game was over literally five <laughs> minutes in. Going down the field, running, you know, the game plan looked great on script. Barkley's running the ball well. Jones looks good. And then the botch snap, block field goal for a touchdown, pick six, and the game was over before you could even blink. 
you throw that in with the with the rain and the conditions. Not that the Giants are a team where you think they'll be great if it's you know good conditions because they don't throw the ball a ton. But either way, it was a, it was a storm. It was the worst possible nightmare, all mixed into one. I'm throwing the game away. I am throwing the game away. I think Daniel Jones is fine. I think he's a great quarterback. I still think he's going to take the big step forward. I know Skip Lugian, our buddy Shen, likes to think otherwise. Um, but, you know, again, he had to eat shit for 19 weeks straight last year, basically, while the Giants surprised everybody. So we can let him have one week of, uh, of you know, allowing to dominate the group chat. But Jones is great. Um, Saquon, again, if he stays healthy, we know how incredible he is as a running back, how dynamic, how elusive. They've added Darren Waller. Again, a lot of ifs with this team's health. You know, another guy that's been plagued by injuries in the past, but Darren Waller is a huge threat for this Giants offense. And the defense, look, can they stop the run this year? They, they couldn't do it last year. The secondary held up and protected a team that really couldn't stop my dead grandma from running through the middle of the hole. <laughs> That's my favorite quote. You guys know that. But, you know, the one concern, the one legit concern I have with this team is yet again the offensive line, Um, especially with Evan Neal, how atrocious he looked on Sunday night. And again, um, he needs to get better and need to improve, but that Cowboys pass rush is unreal. And it's not that the Giants are terrible and it was like the Cowboys are running through the little sisters of the blind. They've got an elite pass rush. Ogia Digizua, Dorrance Armstrong, Micah Parsons, they're going to lead the NFL in sacks this year. Um, But Evan Neal looked horrible either way. And after a bad rookie season, you were expecting him to make a big jump in year two. He looked bad. Mark Lewinsky, the right guard, I mean, my God, horrendous. Um, And now Andrew Thomas apparently is dealing with a sore hamstring, might not even play Sunday in Arizona. That's a cause for concern. All things considered, you take a 40 nothing beatdown, and for the most part, here's what I'm doing. I'm crumpling it up, and I'm throwing it in the trash. Giants are going to be fine. O'Connor, is your worry meter near Pat Boyles, or is it on the other end of the spectrum here? It's it's definitely higher than Pat because of what he just he just got to it there at the end. That's the major concern. Like Daniel Jones had a really bad game. I'm not going to come out here and make an excuse for him. That was probably the worst I've seen him look. Since Dayball took over in over a year, he looked like the happy feet scared Daniel Jones in the backfield. I don't think he's that guy. I think that was part of what that game was. I'm hoping maybe that's it, but that's not my biggest concern. It's that offensive line, and you just brought it up. That right side is atrocious right now. Evan Neal, who we're thinking as a Giants fan base, top five pick, he's supposed to take a step forward. He looks like not only the same guy, he might have even taken a step back. And I'm not just talking about when he got pushed back and thrown on his ass all night. He literally looks like a worse player. And Glowinski got like a one-player performance rating from PFF in pass blocking. I believe the lowest you could possibly get. The whole right side of the offense was a revolving door. Yes, the Cowboys passing rush defense is maybe the best or one of the top three in football. But guess what? They are in your division, and they're the team that you are measured up to. And you came into this game with the thought that we can hang with these guys. We could maybe even beat these guys on our home field. And I get this is a different team, but now the last two times the Giants have played, they've gotten their shit pushed in. They're outscored like 77-3 to or 7, whatever it is, and it's by your two teams in the division. So, yeah, that's scary because now your margin of error, if you're saying – we can't really stack up with these guys, is incredibly slim. 
So I walked up to the ledge on Sunday night. I took a couple steps back. I'm not saying that this team is done or that they can't make the playoffs or they can't get it right because I do believe all those things are possible. And I believe it because of what I've been saying, Brian Dayball, Joe Shane, the new regime, a group that's going to get them right. But add an Andrew Thomas injury and whatever this is, if it's one week, maybe you can still skate past Arizona. If this is something that lingers, I don't think there's a more important player on the Giants than Andrew Thomas. I don't think there is one player I could point to that's more important to their success than him. So he wasn't great or he was he was fine. But the injury right on the other side of the ball, they didn't really get much pressure from the D line. Game script is part of that. A little bit of a positive. The two rookie cornerbacks actually held up. Deontay Banks had a very good game. Hawkins, I thought, got a tough call on that Michael Gallup or the uh, Brandon Cooks deep ball. I think that was ticky tack at worst, but it was just it was a team that got outplayed and outshined in every facet. Again, the game script, the way it happened when they went down early and that Cowboys pass rush gets to pin their ears back. Yeah, it's going to be scary hours, but the, the mistakes they made last night were the ones that they didn't make all of last year. And that, again, is the fear of, is there going to be some luck that's going to change? Is the turnover luck going to change? Is some of that breaks that you got last year going to change? As we all highlighted with Minnesota, who won seven one-score games or whatever it was last year, go out, lose a playoff game, and then they get beat by Maker Mayfield in week one. And you kind of can see a parallel between the two. So I am worried on a scale of one to 10. If 10 is the highest, I'm probably somewhere between a six and a seven. And it's almost all because I'm fearful of the offensive line and especially that Andrew Thomas potential injury. Yeah. And you know what? The big thing that you said there that I want to touch base on is game scripts, because, you know, you could talk about any game in the NFL and pinpoint, you know, two or three plays and say, oh, if that didn't happen, the whole thing would have been different, blah, blah, blah. And I don't normally like to do that because what happened happened. But when you're trying to project forward, I do think it makes a difference. Like it is important to see how things played out and how they, you know, carried on from there. If that first field goal attempt goes through, wasn't blocked, wasn't taken in for a touchdown, just a normal standard field goal in the NFL, three points, three nothing lead for the Giants. This game looks so, so incredibly different. Like it's not even close because the silver lining for this Giants team, I thought was the defense played solid. If you look at the Dallas Cowboys stats at halftime, there was no good stats on offense for the Dallas Cowboys. They had two uh, defensive slash special team touchdowns and a field goal. Like what, what are we so impressed by from the Cowboys side of things on first half in the offense? I thought the Giants defense held up, but with the game script, with them being down and giving the best pass rush in the NFL, just the chance to pin their ear back and go it makes it incredibly hard on a ready weak offensive unit or offensive line unit to, to stop the pass rush. It's not a situation that's good for them, right? So with that being said, they fell apart in the second half. There was a little bit of nerves about them not exactly, you know, continuing to give max effort in the second half and, and really be engaged in that game. It happens. It's week one. Like Pat said, you can throw that one out. A loss is a loss. It doesn't count as three. So that's the positive. That's the silver lining. I thought the defense looked fine. And like you said, Pat, there wasn't a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Back to game script. They they didn't have a chance because the Cowboys got to play conservative, take shots when they wanted to, because they had this huge lead from a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown. So if that first field goal goes in, maybe the Giants lose, you know, 21 to, to nine, 
right? And their offense still looked atrocious overall against this great defense. But we're not sitting here saying, woe is me, this team's doomed, the season's over. That's that's not uh, realistic to me. So I'm closer to Pat on the worry front. I think my worries are the same as they were before week one. I didn't have them picked as a playoff team this year. I had my three wildcard teams as the Eagles, Lions, and Seahawks because I had the Cowboys winning the division. So for me, Cowboys are a way better team than the Giants. They got outshined, and they also got game script to death with some lucky plays on special teams. Maybe not call it luck because they made the plays happen. However, they don't happen every single every single game, right? So I am just as worried as I was before, but my worry meter did not go from a three to a nine after Sunday night. It went from a, a four to a four and a half because I was already kind of worried, and now I'm still kind of worried about this team. I think they can compete. I think they have a chance. Got to see more out of the passing game but that one was just not in the cards for the Giants against the Cowboys. I will say this, Pete. The one thing that I uh, was disgusted by was the reigning NFL coach of the year, Brian Dayball, leaving Daniel Jones in that game until Mm. the final three minutes to get his ass kicked, to get sacked three times on the penultimate drive of the game while you're down 40 to fucking nothing. And it's torrential downpour still. And you've got your quarterback, the guy you just paid $40 million a year to in the game, and, and Saquon's not in the game. Gary Brightwell is, is running the football. I mean, he's throwing the football to Lawrence Cager. You've got most of your other starters out of the game. What the hell was Brian Dayball thinking? And then his answer, yeah, you know, we wanted him to kind of go through it, see if we can get some momentum. There was no momentum to be it found in over. that game at it that point. I agree. And then, you know, apparently he had a big party for his kid or whatever on Saturday afternoon that – um, you know, the radio station whose ass we've been kicking at WFAN I initially said he had a huge party on Saturday night. Then, you know, apparently it was his kid's party. Either way, I don't know what the hell was going through Brian Dayball's mind. I was disgusted by that decision to see Daniel Jones potentially getting risked an injury to the last guy you can afford an injury to playing in that game down 40 to nothing. Brian Dayball better clean it up because out of all the people that were unprepared for that game on Sunday night, he was the most and I'll tell you what, you could take, you know, you can stack up how the Giants defense, their corners are going to be, how Jones is going to play, how Saquon's going to play. None of it matters if your head coach is going to put together a slop shit coaching performance like Brian Dayball did in week one. And for a guy who's the coach of the year, who was such a big part of why they made the playoffs last year, all those one score games that they won, he better clean it up. That was disrespectful. Yeah, 100%. We joked last year that he was running Daniel Jones to the ground because he wanted Tyrod Taylor to play quarterback. And maybe he's back in the same boat, perhaps, right? That was that was crazy. And the seven sacks that you accounted for before, Pat, was really more like nine or ten with a couple sacks getting waved off for penalties. So my boy DJ was getting his ass beat on Sunday night. And that's why all the uh, Skip Lugans out there, Mark Shen Lugans in the world, who already hate Daniel Jones and think he's a bad quarterback, to watch that game, and to solely blame Daniel Jones is is insane. And I'm not even a Daniel Jones defender. I am neutral at best when it comes to Daniel Jones. I am always challenging Daniel Jones supporters to look for more, ask for more, whatever. But that Sunday night game, I am not putting that one on DJ. That's all we got for the Giants. Let's talk about some other stuff because we don't want to go too, too long here. We're already uh, a little bit close to the over, if I had to guess, on this episode. Um well, and thankfully they have the Cardinals on Sunday, but now it's time to talk about some of our preseason takes and it's time to decide whether or not we want to either double down or if we want to hedge and take a step back and maybe change some thoughts on some things we said leading up to this NFL season. Cause sometimes you're watching week one 
and the team you loved isn't quite putting it together and you're not worried at all, right? You're watching uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars offense struggle in the first half and you're high on the Jacksonville Jaguars and you're like, I am not worried. They're going to figure it out. And then sometimes you watch a team like the, maybe it's the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know. I'm just making this up for now. And you're like, oh gosh, no, that looks like there's some issues there. That doesn't look very good. I might want to get off this bet. Both things happen to all of us all the time, but more importantly in week one. Every once in a while, you're sitting around, and uh, Pat and Cody, sorry if you don't hear this live, but I'm going to play it anyway. You're looking around, you're watching your team, or that big take you had in the preseason, and you're just thinking to yourself, I don't know what any of this shit is, and I'm fucking scared. And you think that you're fucking scared of what you're watching and what you said on a microphone before the season started. So let's do it. Um, anyone want to volunteer to go first here for a double down or a hedge on a take from preseason? Cause if not, I can send it. Cody hand up in the air, Cody O'Connor. What do we got? We got a double down or we got a take back. Let's double down. Let's go. Um, and you know, I I'm looking at my list. You guys saw, I, I placed roughly 20 futures this year. So there's a lot to take <laughs> back and or double down on. Um, but let's go with the biggest one. All right. Let's go with the biggest one. It's a team who put out a clunker in week one and I've got them going all the way to the top. And I even said it on the podcast months ago. Um, It's the Cincinnati Bengals, who notoriously seem to start a little bit slow. And, Patty, I don't think they're your brownies anymore, correct? But they also have his number. He's now 1-5 and against the Browns. Yes, they looked awful. That was another game that had really bad weather. This is the first game for Joe Burrow. He had the calf injury that shortened his time in the preseason. He did not play any preseason snaps. So I am not jumping off that bandwagon. I'm not jumping off the ledge. There is not much of a fear from me that the Bengals will not get this right because that man, Joe Burrow, is that dude. And the team that they have to go against, Kansas City, as much as I love the Chiefs and I've got my Chiefs stuff, they looked a little bit lost without Travis Kelsey. And to be that reliant upon one guy who's in his age 34 season at a position that you take a lot of hits at, it's a little bit much to rely on. So I'm not jumping off. I will double down. Bengals Super Bowl plus 1,000. Keep it, lock it. They're getting the 10 wins. I'm getting all of my money back on that FanDuel promo. Bengals. Are they winning the division, Cody? I actually do not have them to win the division, believe it all or right. not. All right. Now, it's not in a, it's in a bit of a crazier play. A, an eight-leg division winner's parlay <laughs> is the only one I touched that division in because I don't feel great about any of the teams. Um, I do have the Ravens to come out of that division. Because kind of when you're looking at a division winner's parlay, you just can't take the number one team in all eight. So sometimes you got to go to the second or third option. Um, And I went with the Ravens, and I still feel okay about that. I think the Bengals win 10 or 11 games, and I think they get hot at the right time, and I think it goes all the way this year. It's not going to be a frequent uh, occurrence that T. Higgins is catchless and Jamar Chase has less than 50 yards. And Joe Burrow puts up three points. Like if you're worried about the Bengals offense, you know, maybe you'll be worried. They're not a top five unit, but they're still going to be a top 10 unit. You have to imagine. So Cody, I think that's perfectly fair. Patty, are you ready for a double down or a take back? Yeah, I'm going to double down uh, on another team that had a clunker and a team that I think goes to the Super Bowl this year. It's not the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the Buffalo Bills. 
and you see an embarrassing, pathetic loss on Monday night at the Jets where Zach Wilson played 99% of that game. The Bills led 13-3, to and you say, how the hell did you lose that game to the New York Jets? Well, maybe it was some 9-11 magic. Um, either way, it, maybe it was Josh Allen turning the ball over four times. That played a large part in it. I'm honestly glad this happened week one to Josh Allen because I thought going into this season, he's going to clean up these turnovers, right? He's going to stop playing like a dumbass. He didn't do that on, on Monday night. He played like a dumbass, throwing the ball downfield into double coverage, you know, taking his eye off that football, fumbling that snap, giving the Jets prime position to tie, to take the lead with that field goal late in the game. That was yet again another horrible Josh Allen performance, and those are no longer outliers, right? Those weren't outliers towards the end of last year. That was like, hey, Josh Allen was a Reds over, red zone turnover machine, and he continued that. But I'm glad it happened week one. I'm glad it happened the first game of the season because I think he does clean up those mistakes. And I would have loved to have been right and see him clean them up on Monday night and win a game that all you had to do was manage to the end, and he didn't. I think that's rock bottom for Josh Allen this year. And you could see him kind of defeated in that post game, you know, saying, I just, you know, it was shit, same day, different, you know, same shit, different day, rinse and repeat. And it's like, whoa, that's a guy who's ready to take accountability. Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, they've got to work things out. They've got to figure out that offense. And I think the way that this offense is going to look the rest of this year, I think it's going to be a lot of 12 personnel where it's the two tight ends. I think them drafting Dalton Kincaid, who had a nice debut game, three catches, I think, for 26 yards. Him and Dawson Knox being able to go two tight ends. You have Diggs and Davis on the outside. And running the football, getting a balanced offense, is the key to the Bills this year. Not spreading everybody out and let Josh Allen do gunslinger shit because you've seen how it turns out. You've seen the worst of it. And it's happening way more than what this Bills offense can look like, which I think is going to be a top five offense in the NFL, maybe even top three. They've got a solid defense. You've got a solid offensive line. You've got a tremendous wide receiver one. You've got two good tight ends. You've got a quarterback that can use his legs. Use a balanced offense because – when you spread everybody out and you know, and everybody knows what to expect from Josh Allen, all right, he's going to run at the first sign of trouble. No, if you can catch, you, you can kind of lull teams to sleep with a balanced attack, run the football, use your tight ends, dink and doink, nickel and dime down the field. That's this best option for the offense. And then when Josh Allen needs to put the cape on, you know he can, but you don't want to have to, you know, force him to do it all the time because you see those bad decisions that he's prone to making. I believe Josh Allen cleans them up. I think this Buffalo Bills team gets rolling. They've got a bit of a weak schedule coming up to do that. I think they roll against the Raiders. I think they roll against the Commanders. I think they win that game against the Dolphins a couple of weeks from now. He's the best quarterback in that division. The Bills are the best team in that division. Forget about Tua. Forget about the Dolphins. They've got a solid offense, but the Bills are a better football team. They're going to show it throughout the rest of this year. So I'm doubling down. Bills win the AFC East. Bills go to the Super Bowl. Now, Pat, you may or may not have a history with Tua. May or may not. Who's to say? Did, the, did that Dolphins perform, a performance scare you at all? Did that make you nervous about this Bills take, that the Dolphins might be neck and neck? I know you just said that it doesn't, but like I want you to be specific with this Dolphins situation. Does that make you nervous at all? The Dolphins have a, a tremendous offense, right? I mean, Tua has found a way to really get the most. Mike McDaniels found a way to get the most out of Tua, to let him just, you know, sling the ball, put the ball in the good in good spots for Tyree Kill and Jalen Wild. I mean, Tyree Kill, 
what, absolute monster. 11 for 215 and two touchdowns. He is. He said it. He goes, I'm unguardable. He is unguardable. Mm-hmm. Cheetah's still unguardable. So teams will try to take him away. And when you do that, I do think you will see the two of mistakes. Look, I had to eat, eat some crow last year in the beginning of the year. Two was having a great season. Unfortunately, he got hurt, right? And the scare, one of the scariest moments in football that was you know, maybe only topped by DeMar Hamlin's scary injury. So the Dolphins, you would think the defense is better this year with Vic Fangio. Chargers still put up 34. I'm going to say, though, that game was still a game the Chargers should have won. And it's yet again another indictment on Brandon Staley's resume and under his belt that they didn't win that game. Dolphins are going to be good. They were a good team. They were a good team last year. They're not going to be better than the Bills. So I'm not running from my past Tua takes despite the 466 yards he put up. That's very fair because you, you could still be having the Dolphins in the playoffs, but you just think the Bills are the best team in the AFC East. Completely fair. I did actually like that they were dumping off a little bit more to James Cook because one thing that like never happened in Josh Allen's career to this point is utilizing running backs well in the passing game. You saw spurts of Singletary and Zach Moss looking pretty good there, but Cook is just like one notch better than them, and that might be be huge for them to add that balance attack that you were talking about. All right, let me move to my double down. Since we're doing double downs, I'll stick in, in the same uh, rhythm here. I'm going to do a two for one, two for one double down here, AFC South edition. In my over under podcast that I did a few weeks back, I not only took the under on the Tennessee Titans, I not only took the over on the Jacksonville Jaguars, I took the alternate over on the Jacksonville Jaguars at 11 and a half at plus 220. And yeah, they didn't look great. In that game against the Colts, I think the Colts shocked some people with how solid they looked and how consistent they kind of played throughout that game. The defense looked very strong for the Colts. That was all surprising. No one cared about the Colts this year. They got no chance. Rookie quarterback, write them off, whatever. Colts looked pretty solid, I thought. But I'm doubling down on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they scratched the tip of the iceberg there from their offense perspective. Calvin Ridley looked like that dude who we all fell in love with in Alabama at in an Atlanta Falcons uniform. And after the two-year hiatus, he did not miss a beat. Calvin Ridley was a dog on Sunday. But, and Christian Kirk didn't really get cooking. Zay Jones had a nice game. Travis Etienne and Tank Bigsby both looked very solid. They got a top five-ish quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. That defense, I'll, I'll say it again, I said it all preseason. Last year, they were top three in the league in pressure rate and not even close to top three in the league in sacks. That's the type of thing that can regress year over year. We just saw it with the Jets in week one. They were not turning the ball over a lot last year. Week one, what do they do over and over again? Turn the ball over, right? Those are the types of things that if your process is strong, they're going to regress to the mean in a positive fashion if you were down the year before. So I am all in on the Jaguars still. I did not get nervous about their offense kind of sputtering at points in that game. That's a week one thing that's going to get fixed. Their weapons are too good. Their quarterback's too good. I still trust Dougie P, but this is a two for one here. I am doubling down on the Titans under seven and a half as well. It was a a pick that if you asked me before week one, I was about to take it back already. I was getting nervous. I was listening to analysts and reading articles and podcasts. And people are like, you can't count out the Titans and Mike Vrabel. And if Tannehill starting, they were eight and three last year before he went down and da, da, da. I was just, I'm just not impressed. I wasn't impressed with them last year when they were eight and three and I'm not impressed with them now. And after week one, I'm ready to double down on under seven and a half. Derek Henry has lost a step. We've been talking about it for years that when's it going to fall off? When's he not going to be the guy in fantasy? When's he not going to do this? 
He's been on a slight downhill for me for the past two seasons. I've talked about it on this podcast a ton. He's still getting the volume stats. He might still have 1,300 yards and lead the league in touches. That's all fine and dandy, but his burst is not quite the same. His consistency is not quite as good as it was in the past. And yes, he's going to have moments. He's going to truck people. He's going to break out for big runs occasionally. But that Titans offense cannot be carried by Derrick Henry any longer, especially when there's not a, a young DeAndre Hopkins, for example, but A.J. Brown, who's carrying the pass game, right? Can D-Hop do it by himself? And Traylon Burks, can he step up? I'm not trusting it. Tannehill didn't look good. You can say it's rust for him as well. Vrabel will definitely get this team to a place of competing week in, week out. But when I start looking at their schedule and who they're playing, they don't have an insanely hard schedule, but I don't feel good about them beating most teams either. I think that they're even with a lot of the teams. They're in the middle of the pack, and I think they're going to fall short. The Titans are a darling of football fans all over the place because of Rabel, because of the toughness. I love uh, Jeffrey Simmons on the D-line. He's an absolute dog, but I don't think the Titans have it this year. The Jaguars will officially crown themselves king of the AFC South and not look back. Big-time swing game on Sunday. Chargers-Titans both 0-1 in Nashville. I'll tell you right now, Pete, I'm going to be going against you. I think I'm taking Tennessee plus And wait, hold on. I'm out on the Titans. I bet the Titans in week one for a hit. And that's that, that's, <laughs> the, that's the thing here, right? Like, I, I'm not even saying that the Titans suck. I'm not saying they're going to win four games or three games and fall apart. I thought you that was they're going to possible- win seven. Yeah, I think they're literally going to win seven. Like, I think they're going to go under. They're going to win seven, and I'm willing to double down on it. But even when I made the pick, I mentioned the fact that if things go wrong, if Tannehill gets hurt, this is a tank team where, you know, they should trade D-Hop, they should get off of it, and they should try to get Caleb Williams, right? That's if things go terribly wrong. I don't think things are going to go terribly wrong, but I am just doubling down that they are not the prime team in the AFC South anymore. I, I just don't see it. And again, last year when they were eight and three and people still like to hype them up, all oh, variables like Tomlin, he might be. This team's not good enough, in my opinion, to actually do what it takes to win eight, nine, 10 games this year. But I might bet them a bunch. They're going to stay in games. I might bet them too with you, Pat. All right. Might have to take them this week because I got a pool where I have to make nine picks and it's tough against the spread. And one of them... <sighs> You know, the Chargers to ever cover a spread, you just feel a little bit better being on the other side. And well, that and I'm, I'm worried mostly just this Sunday about Austin Eckler's ankle. Yeah, he mm. should be out. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to play. I Josh got Joshua Kelly, Kelly on the waiver. Yep. Bro, you literally yeah, no. just you that's, literally that's just said the exact did. same thing as me. <laughs> and Kelly, looked, a, Kelly looks fine. Run. He looks good. I thought. Bro, he, he had, what, 15 carries for 70, 70 yards? yards? Yeah. But and, I'm still, and you know, Josh Kelly's a nice player. He's not Austin Eckler. So I no. think you take that element out of that offense. I think the Chargers' offensive line is going to have a big problem with that Titans' pass rush. And just again, playing on the road, both teams obviously 0 and 1. You know, big time swing game. I don't think the Chargers have yet again. I still don't <laughs> think the Chargers have proven themselves as a complete football team that they should be a three point favorite on the road against any team that is decently solid. Right. And that's what that that's what the Titans are at best, in my opinion. Decently solid at best. And I think they're not gonna win the swing games that they have in the past. But that, that, I'll I'll digress from my two for one double down. Does anyone want to take anything back? Is anyone nervous about any of their takes? Well, when you when you make twenty picks, Pete, uh, <laughs> I think there's at least one that you can walk back. I even had written down 
Super Bowl for this team, and I didn't take it. I, I, I wanted like a long shot, a big odds, a team that maybe I thought had a chance, an outright, an outside chance. Um, but I have them to make the playoffs. I'm not saying I'm completely walking it back, but maybe the most nervous is what happened to Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh last week against the Niners. Um, Niners are obviously a fantastic team, but Pittsburgh to make the playoffs and the way that Kenny Pickett looked in that game definitely made me nervous. The most nervous of any of the picks I had. I'm with you on the Jags. I got them with the Chiefs to win the division. That's one of my bigger plays. I'm all in on the Jags. I love what they did. Um, but the Steelers definitely made me most nervous. I thought that was a good, tight, close game, a good test. And so many people that I kept listening to, which made me most nervous, were on the Steelers week one. And a lot of people against San Fran coming into the year, a lot of people whose opinions I really like and trust, friends, people I listen to on podcasts, my brother, my cousin, people whose football opinion I respect, and a lot of them saying the Niners are taking a step back. I never saw that this year. I feel good about saying that because I do have them to win the division in one of my plays. The Steelers just getting annihilated like that, though, and looking like they have no resilience, especially on the defensive side. Brock Purdy was dicing them up. He looked like the guy that we saw all last year. He absolutely diced them up with very little resilience. Najee Harris didn't look amazing. Um, the, the Steelers offense as a whole, Deontay Johnson now has a hamstring that he's pulled up with. And I think he's by far their best receiver, even though I do like George Pickens. So I am most nervous about that one. Adding to it, the way the Browns started the season in that same division, the Bengals are obviously my Super Bowl pick. So now who's the odd man out? So the Steelers are the one I am most worried about. That was not a good look. Real quick, Pat. Uh, drinking too much Bill Simmons Kool-Aid on the Steelers. Is that what happened, Cody? It's It might have been. You know, I obviously <laughs> listened to him, and when you were talking about the Titans, I'm like, oh, he's listening to Simmons this week because he loves Vrabel, and he uh, understandably so. I had the Titans yeah. to cover that team too, and I got the Saints to win the division. There are two teams I thought were going in opposite directions, but Same. three and a half points, I thought that was a good number. Um, yeah, I don't – you know, the Steelers just – they did look good in the preseason – uh, maybe it's because a little shout out. I went to college with Kenny Pickett's sister was a friend of mine in the health and phys ed program. Shout out Alex. I'm sure she's listening. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just thought that they were solid on the defensive side. I love Mike Tomlin. I love that infrastructure and the way they ended last season all combined into it. I got plus odds for the playoffs. Usually some new teams come in. Other teams go out. That's one of the things Simmons says a lot, and he's 100% right about that. So just kind of all those things combined um, made me think, hey, let's let's take a little shot on the Steelers. And uh, they made me look like an idiot week one. So thank you, Pittsburgh. There you go. Patty, take one back for me. I got to take back the, how bad I thought the Bucks would be, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I think they've got a decent shot to win the NFC South, right? I mean, the division's still not good. Like, Atlanta looked pretty good. We know they're going to run the shit out of the ball. They play the Panthers, who might be the third-worst team in football this year. So how impressive was that win? A lot of people think it's the Saints division now that they got Derek Carr. I'm still not sold on Derek Carr. And Baker Mayfield has a knack of when you think he's going to be terrible, he performs just well enough to win games like he did on Sunday. Now, again, the initial reaction is, oh, the Vikings are terrible, right? They are who we thought they were last year. The defense sucks. Kirk Cousins sucks. Um, and that might be half true. I still think the Vikings are good enough to maybe win eight or nine games this year. I think it's the Lions division in the NFC North. I think that's a team that I'm 
I wish I could double down on, but they beat the Chiefs on week one. So uh, they look as good as uh, everybody thought they'd finally be. We forget last year how decimated by injuries the Buccaneers' defense was, right? Losing Shaq Barrett early in the year. I mean, look at all these guys that missed several, several games. Um, you know, Antoine Winfield, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Logan Ryan, Vita Vea missed a couple of games. He was huge in terms of stopping the run. Um, you know, and a lot of those guys are back this year, and you saw the impact they have. Shaq Barrett's back. Devin White in the middle. Levante David in the middle. Vita Vea being the big Hawaiian run stopper. And that secondary is no joke. You know, again, Jamel Dean's back. Winfield's back. That's a secondary that, you know, that could only hold up for so long last year because of all the injuries they had. That defense is no joke. That's a Super Bowl winning defense from a couple of years ago. They still got a lot of those dogs on that defense. They are going to be very, very tough to score against. So if Baker Mayfield can manage games like he did on Sunday, I mean, let's not forget Mike Evans. We all assumed he was like cooked last year because him and Brady could never get on the same page. Mike Evans is still a legit wide receiver one. Chris Godwin, again, another guy who feels like he's been hurt for the last two years. He's healthy. That's a solid weapon, too. They're going to run the ball. They've got a good offensive line. Tristan Wirfs is a stud at left tackle. I got to take it back. I thought going into the season, I was like, oh, the Bucs, Baker Mayfield, they're going to win five games. They might win the NFC South. I honestly, I got to put myself on notice with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And it's similarly to our conversation Cody and I had on one of our previews about the Rams, right? Same concept. Uh, it's like the Bucs sold their soul for that Brady Super Bowl. The Rams sold their soul for that Matt Stafford Super Bowl. And Patty B, we'll talk to you later. Go, go, uh, go, Joker on his ass. All right, that's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Got um, some tennis. Got some tennis to take care of. <laughs> but over the backhand, <laughs> I, I only have a forehand, so that's all, I, I have to cover that pretty bad. <laughs> Patty, Patty, thank you. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Uh, Cody, yeah. remember we talked about the Rams, and we were like, one of the storyline. Uh, uh, we did the storyline draft that whole podcast, and I think we both had interest in the Rams not being terrible this year and look what happens they're healthy Matt Stafford looks like he's in Detroit again like he was moving quick he was getting rid of the ball even quicker his arm looked as good as ever the receivers I mean uh Puka Nukua like guy looked like a stud Cooper Cup comes back in three four weeks why are the Rams gonna suck we talked about this five weeks ago Cody Mm -hmm. and it's exactly about the same thing with the Buccaneers these two basically sold their soul for Super Bowl championships, they fell apart. They put everything they freaking had into winning those rings. And that's why it's so difficult to repeat in the NFL. That's why it's so impressive that Pat Mahomes has been in five straight AFC championship games. And you can't take lightly that there's still dudes on these teams, the Buccaneers for one, the Rams for another. I think now all of a sudden we're going to look at the Rams every week and say, yep, they can play with that team. Yep. They have a chance to win that game. And then, God forbid, Cooper Cup comes back and all this talk about, oh, Stafford's going to get shut down. The Rams are going to tank and get Caleb Williams. That's gone, bro. That's so gone. And it's gone for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well, for better or worse. I'm not sure if that's the right organizational move for these teams. But like we said before, there's no tanking in the NFL until you know week 14 or something like that. For the most part, at least, there's always outliers. Uh, but let me hit you with my, my take back here. And this one kind of stings because again my over under podcast there were two teams that i didn't just take their over under i took their alt over or alt under and i took the green bay packers under and alt under 
at well under at seven and a half, alt at six and a half, and then I even sprinkled a tiny, tiny piece on under five and a half, Cody. And it was betting on the fact that Jordan Love wasn't very good, that we're expecting a first-time starting quarterback to uh, excel with two receivers who combined for 80 catches last year who didn't do enough with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. Their defense was giving it up left and right on the ground last year. Their special teams has been terrible for multiple years. I just didn't trust this Packers infrastructure. People were hyping them up. Oh, they're going to be better than the Lions. They're better than the Vikings. They have a chance to win the North. I didn't buy it. And I put my uh, money where my mouth was and took them under seven and a half, six and a half, five and a half, double down. And I'm going to take it back. Now, do I think that they're going to win the NFC North? I do not. I still don't trust them that much, but I was treating them as if they were a team that was going to be bad. And I think that they're going to be decent. Now, again, is this the hottest take of all time that I think the Packers go in my mind from bad to decent? It's not, but it's one that I think that I probably got wrong. And it was partially because I had an affinity to the Vikings and lions and pulling for them to get on top of the North this year. And I had an affinity for Aaron Rodgers and everyone blaming him for what happened in Green Bay. I didn't buy it. And I took all those things, mixed them up together, and basically said, well, now the Packers can't be good because I don't agree with anything that people are saying about this team and organization and division. I think I might be wrong on that. I think they're going to be very competitive this year. I don't think they're going to win the North, but I think week in, week out, we're going to see the Packers with a chance to win against some of the better teams in in this league. Let me let me see if I could walk you off that ledge a little bit because I was with you. I'm not a big Packers believer. I didn't necessarily go against them in that way, but I didn't have them in any plays. I saw all the people saying that they liked them. I didn't quite understand it. I don't really feel uh, like Jordan Love is all that great. And the reason maybe that I'm easier to say this is because I don't have money on it. That's the story, <laughs> right? Just like being a fan and, and being able to talk badly or, or easier about your team. But – The thing is, the Bears stink on defense, which is crazy to say that the Bears are so bad defensively, but they are actually one of the worst defensive units in football. And when you get a young guy and you can get him some early scores and early success and put him in good positions, his confidence starts to grow in that situation and in that game. And then you see the blowout start to take place. Not to mention, they absolutely own the Bears. And I guess that's one thing that hasn't changed. The one note for the Packers, though, is maybe maybe, uh, maybe Matt LaFleur is actually a really good head coach. And you saw all the things about how Aaron Rodgers didn't necessarily want to play fully to his system, which is completely understandable because they were winning 12, 13 games every year anyway, right? But maybe LaFleur is able to draw those up. But I'm going to wait to see what they look like when adversity hits, what do they look like when they don't get rolling, what do they look like, what does Jordan Love specifically look like when the game script isn't fully on his side. So I'm going to try to walk you off that ledge with that part because as convincingly as they won that game, um, I don't think they are that, that good. I don't think they're that level. And uh, that game made them look like, hey, we've got a chance to win the North and – I'm pretty glad I stayed away from that division for the most part. Yeah, I feel that. And I guess, you know what? I do appreciate you walking me off the ledge a little bit because in reality, my main point of picking them as my take back is that I feel bad about the all unders. I feel bad about the five and a half and the six yeah, and a half. I, 
I feel I still feel okay about the seven and a half, right? Like that's in play. That's and you know that those are like my actual plays. Uh, right. The the main lines, the alt lines, are to get juice and and to make the profit, right? So if I lose those, I put less on them anyway because uh, I did I did all seven and a half, six and a half, five and a half. Um, but nonetheless, I I do agree. I think it's important to remember week one is sometimes a liar and or an outlier for that matter. We talked about it with the Giants, possibly an outlier game, outlier loss by the Cowboys or to the Cowboys. That could be the same thing for the Bears and a team that's basically never had a good offense and only good defenses this year in their in their history. They have a horrible defense. You are 100 percent right. So let's see what the the Packers do when they go up against a real defense in this league. I still don't love Jordan Love. I'm not there yet. It's going to take me, you know, six to 10 weeks of consistent play from Jordan Love for me to start saying he has what it takes to be a franchise guy. Yeah, he did some good things, but he also missed some throws. And yeah. uh, it got covered up by the fact that they just rolled. The other one I had here, Cody, just before we say goodbye, um, I had the Raiders under six and a half, and I spoke to a Raiders fan. Okay, so take this with a grain of salt. But I saw him at a party, said, yo, Joey, Raiders, bro. How you feeling? Expecting him to be like, terrible. This sucks. I hate my life. I hate where we are. <laughs> And that's exactly what I expected. I almost said it with a smirk on my face, like, what's up, man? How you feeling about them Raiders? And he's like, this is before Sunday. This is, this is a week before Sunday. And he very calmly goes pretty good, actually. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Pretty good. They're over unders at six and a half. What what do you feel good about? He's like, yeah, in the AFC West, nonetheless. And he goes, well, we have a good young core of defensive backs. We have a great pass rusher. We have good weapons on offense that I'm that I'm fine with right now. We still have Devontae Adams, and Jimmy G's a good quarterback. And I go, huh, that's interesting. Jimmy G is a good quarterback. <laughs> half my bet was predicated on the fact that he was only going to play half the games. So maybe I have to recalculate the Raiders a little bit. And then they play the Broncos, so we'll take that for what it's worth uh, of their defense holding them down for the most part. Um, but their defense looked okay. Their weapons looked good. Josh Jacobs is very good. They have Devontae Adams on their team. Jimmy G's a good quarterback. I'm like, oh my God, I took the Raiders under six and a half. Is that stupid? I expect them to be one of the worst teams in the league. Is that stupid? And I watched week one and I, I don't know. So I'm not doubling down. I'm not taking back, but I just want to ask you, do the Raiders suck or are they like, okay? I think they're going to, I think Jimmy G will keep you in games. Like, I think, you know, it's ironic with all the talk we had earlier. Jimmy G is exactly who the New York Jets is right now. <laughs> yeah, because the Jets be are the Niners. Perfect. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. well would, you know, you know what I meant from a pieces perspective. There. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's exactly right right now. And um, I think he'll keep them in games. And here's, here's where my takeaway is. I'm going to double, triple, quadruple down on saying for the past two and a half years that Russell Wilson stinks. He's cooked. He's not running out of the pocket. He's not the same guy. I don't think he has the locker room at all, and I would not be shocked. Maybe this is a hotter take if Sean Payton yanks him before the end of the year because he just doesn't have it. Whatever it is, if it's the locker room, if it's the same ability, he just doesn't have it anymore. So maybe, again, that's a little bit of a fluky game one for the Raiders. My buddy wanted to take the Broncos, and so we did in our pool. We put him as our lowest point because I'm like, if we're taking Denver and I have to back Russell Wilson to cover a spread, we're doing it for a very minimal value because I hate that guy and I've been saying it for years because I just don't think he has it. 
And yeah. uh, but the the impressive thing was that's a good uh, Denver Broncos team, and it wasn't like it was just Devontae Adams. It was um Jacoby Myers, correct? Looked who, great. Who's number sixteen? As I've got De- Devontae Adams in fantasy, and number sixteen with dreads is just catching the ball in the end zone all over the place. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> the guy who's right. never scored touchdowns ever for New England, like had the longest streak ever. <laughs> without scoring a touchdown goes to Oakland or Oakland, whatever Las Vegas and scores two in his first game. <laughs> yeah. And my buddy who I'm talking about is a Pats fan. So wow. Pain, pain. Yeah. And the Broncos defense is very good too. So, you know, yeah. you can't really hate on uh Jimmy G getting his boys cooking a little bit over there for Vegas, but, uh, but yeah, um, what, you got anything else for us, Cody? I have to walk one back. And I literally mean, I, I have to walk it back because it's already dead. I went long shot here. I'm a fan of the New York Giants, plus 6,000 to throw a passing touchdown in every single game this year. <laughs> and it's over. <laughs> it is dead after week one. No um, way. That's hysterical. That is a tough look for me. Um, I also have Daniel Jones over 17 and a half touchdown passes. And I'm not panicking on that one either. I'm not, not dead yet. I'm still okay with it. So, But I, I absolutely have to walk that one back. I, I don't have a choice. It's dead. That's hysterical, but at least yeah. it was plus six thousand. So it's not yeah. like you know. I'm it's sure you didn't ten bucks for the season. You didn't put uh, the the engagement ring on that one. I'm sure. So it's <laughs> no, no. We're gonna go back to Michael's and and we'll pick out a new one. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really funny. That Nothing like losing a a, a season long future in week one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 you know what? If you're gonna lose, you'd rather lose and laugh about fashion like that. So yeah. Um, um, the only thing, and this is my last thing, but we're going to say goodbye now. Um, are you doing a survivor pool this year? I'm in two survivor pools. I'm in everything. Yeah. I think fig- I figured as much. It was more of a rhetorical question, but, uh, week two, why is it looking so tough for the survivor pools already? So that's so. And who'd tough. you, t- who'd you take week one for, for so week one? I went Baltimore in both of them. And I, it, I actually had Jacksonville in one of them. And then at about 1240 ish. I just kept seeing that line drop and it scared the hell out of me. And I already had a good enough amount invested in Jacksonville week one, including the picks pod. And I'm like, let me just not throw every egg into this basket. And, and they, you know, the Colts actually gave them a run and made mm-hmm. it a, a, an interesting game. Jacksonville ends up covering it, and it looks like with ease, but it, it was anything but actually the Colts, uh, the Colts hung tough and, so now we're in week two for the pool. And again, I have to make nine picks against the spread and I'm looking at it and I picked maybe three games to start. And I am just like, I don't know where else these picks are going to come from. It's a tough week too. It really is. So I did like the classic. Well, I don't know if it's classic or not. Maybe it's still a little zaggy if you will, but I did the whole, like, all right, there's X amount of people in this pool probably 40% of them are going to take the Ravens, right? So I'm like, I'm not taking the Ravens, even though I love them and they're going to win. And then I looked at the rest of it. I'm like, everyone else is probably going to go with the commanders because they think the Cardinals stink. I'm not going to take the commanders. And the Cardinals gave our commanders a run for the money as well. I I went with the Falcons and I felt pretty good about it. Uh, And the first uh, half was a little bit sketchy. You know, there was a tie game, I think, close to halftime. The Falcons ran away and I was like, thank God. Good pick, Peter. Good job. Good job. But now I'm looking at this right now, and it's tough, bro. I mean, I think the easiest one, like if you're going to look at which team is going to get picked the most in week two, it's probably going to be the Cowboys over the Jets. But that's just like 
every year when you do survivor pools and you talk to people who do survivor pools, it's always that one team that knocks out half the league. And it's like, Oh, how the hell did the Cowboys lose to Zach Wilson? Right. So I, I almost get more nervous taking the largest spread on the board. Cause that's really like the rule of thumb, right? Look at the games with the largest spread, take those favorites. That's how you can do well in survivor pool. Give yourself the best chances to win. I, I personally get like super nervous about that. Like I get more nervous taking the Cowboys against Zach Wilson than like the giants against the Cardinals. Like I'm considering the giants against the Cardinals this week and the giants were horrible in yeah. week one. Right. So like, I, I don't know, man, it's, it's a tough slate this week already. And that's partially because week one, like we said before, could be a liar. And, you know, you look at a team like the Seahawks and say, oh, they look terrible. Detroit six point favorite. Their, their offense wasn't doing it uh, in week one. And then all of a sudden, Geno Smith throws four touchdowns. Right. So like that's NFL week one, week two, week three happens all the time. So I'm a little bit nervous right now. Um, I am currently leaning to take the Giants over the Cardinals in Arizona, which feels insane. But I think that's where I'm leaning. I'm not sure yet, though. I have yeah, it, it's tough. Uh, there's two sides, right, where it's like I want to try and get a team out of the way, but I can't get too cute either, right? So, so like, I'm looking at the spreads right now, and Buffalo, even though we just kind of talked up Vegas a little bit, Buffalo at home against Vegas. After a loss? Probably one of the safer picks coming off a loss. Philly is probably going to be a popular pick. They're also at home against Minnesota. Couldn't who, catch me taking that one. Well, Mm-mm. <laughs> You're also, gonna, also wait, also wait. Betting a Thursday night game in a survivor pool is psycho. I'll say that. Crazy, but man, it's psycho. It feel good to get it out of the way if you could. Like I have, you know, when you have like Monday night, like as I'm sitting waiting on the picks pod, and you're tagging me, and you're like, "Hey, it's up to you now, Cody." And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, it's just me out here. I got nothing else." Right? It's a little nerve wracking. Damn it, Alvarez. Alvarez walked. I got him in a play. Um, uh, Mauricio hit a home run before. That was nice. Yeah, four forty. I missed the bill. You could probably time my reaction to that one i probably made a face that makes no sense to context of what someone was saying but mauricio <laughs> hit an upper decker and i'm like but yeah it's going to be a tough week too man it's going to be interesting to make all these picks survivors fantasy lineups waiver wire week one but i'm oh, just God. i'm so glad we're fully in it I, as much as it was tough slow start to the one clock slates we're I so back football. i just we're, love football we are so back cody we are so back well, that's it. We're back uh, again on Friday morning with picks. So if you missed us on week one, I probably should have done this in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, bad hosting job by me. If you missed the picks from week one, Twitter, Instagram, if you don't listen to the podcast, we didn't get one in before week one, just schedules were too crazy. Uh, but we will be doing picks podcast basically every single Friday about the upcoming games. If you missed the podcast, social media at Subway Sports Talk on Instagram, at Subway Sports Talk, TLK on Twitter. The picks will be up there no matter what, Saturday, Sunday, et cetera. Um, good start for the boys. Two and one for me, two and one for Cody, two and one for Mark Shanlugan, one and two for Pat Boyle, but that's seven and five for the good guys to start off in a weird, weird week one. Uh, but that's all we got for today. We'll be back with the picks later in the week and every single week in the NFL season, we'll be doing probably two podcasts every single week, most likely Wednesday, Friday. Um, just because of recording Monday nights, a little bit more difficult watching the Monday night game recording, not always easy. So we usually record Tuesday nights, release Wednesday, and then record picks Thursday nights, release Friday. So that's what you can expect generally for this NFL season. But for that, 
I say goodbye. Thanks for listening. Subway Sports Talk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on your podcast app. Hit the notification bell and comment on the YouTube, which is also called Subway Sports Talk. But for Pat Boyle, for Cody O'Connor, I'm Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk. Cheers.